It's showtime, folks. Son now. Ali to the left. Son on a mission to go alone. This is sensational. World class. Welcome to the Know It All Podcast. We're here with a great show today. Numerous, numerous reviews of many movies and TV shows. We have Rita Cinema joining us with our movie reviews for the personal history of David Copperfield and the Christmas Chronicles 2. We then have our TV critic, Dr. M. Sage coming in to do Emily in Paris. And then, of course, at the end, we'll throw in a little sports. The European domestic leagues will preview what's going on in the fixtures this weekend and take a look back at the Champions League during the week. All right. First, we're going to bring in our movie reviewer, Rita Cinema, to go over the personal history of David Copperfield and the Christmas Chronicles 2. Let's start out with the personal history of David Copperfield. I know this is something you wanted to see for quite a long time. The pandemic caused a little bit of a, a delay. So, what did you think of this movie? Okay, you're absolutely right. Hey, champ, how are you today? Rainy day here as we record. Um, I have been waiting a very long time to see this movie. I have a little friend's movie group, and we go see movies together. And we saw the trailer to this one at a movie theater early in 2020, and we were all, like, real excited. Uh, You know, uh, I hate to say it, but we're kind of a group of older ladies, all over 60. And this appealed to us. Um, and although I don't necessarily think it's a movie just for old people, I'll say that more. Well, I that think later. it was a movie for young people. <laughs> yes. Supposedly. Well, our older ladies group really <laughs> wanted to see this, but then as soon as it came out, along came COVID along with it and the movie theaters closed down. So it was re-released in, uh, or it was released in theaters in September, Uh, But I think we all know how that went. Uh, Nobody was ready to go back to the movie theaters for the most part, particularly to see a movie um, like this. And uh, none of my friends really wanted to go, nor did I. Uh, I wasn't quite ready to go back to movie theaters yet. Um, So finally, finally, along comes November and we get this film uh, that's been uh, made available, I guess, pay-per-view uh, is what you refer to it as um, on on-demand streaming services. So, got to watch it. There finally. we go. We're moving into the modern age. Yeah, you. We're still oh, yeah. hitting do, into the eighties and nineties. Well, what do you call it if you don't call it pay-per-view? Well, I'd call it on-demand. Okay, or, I said on-demand <laughs> streaming. There services. we go. 
but you have to pay for it was basically what I'm trying to say. You have to rent it or purchase it uh, in order to be able to watch it. Um, so, uh, what did I think of this movie after I had waited patiently to see it? Actually, I, I had fun watching it. I think it's a fun movie to watch. Um, very whimsical and energetic. Um, not without its low points, though, as well. And um, it is indeed the telling of a personal history, so it's really not a typical story with a plot and a finality to it, so to speak. Um, and I have a few observations to make about it uh, before I even, you know, talk about the story it's, uh, itself. Um, first of all, I think you have to understand going into it that it's more of a parody based on the Dickens novel, David Copperfield. Um, and I mean, it, it's not um, literal uh, to to the novel, and um, I think you have to approach it as such. Um, anyone who's a purist in terms of Dickens, who expects this to be a movie that is a retelling uh, of the novel, I think they'll be disappointed with it. Um, but I do think you you can watch it and have fun with it, and just not get too hung up with it being the uh, literal telling of. Dickens' uh, novel, David Copperfield. Um, the movie is the creation of Armando Iannucci, I hope I pronounced his name correctly, um, who gave us uh, the TV show Veep, TV series Veep, um, which I will say is one of my all-time favorite TV shows, but, you know, it's very tongue-in-cheek style, very irreverent, and um, I think you'll find, unlike reading the Dickens novel, um, this one has a few parts that are just laugh-out-loud funny. Um, maybe not everyone will laugh out loud, but I did a couple of times anyway. The, my second observation is um, the cast is superb. Um, these are some of the, the, the uh, actors, best British actors, um, currently in the business. I mean, really good acting. Everybody, small parts, big parts, everybody in this movie is really quite good. Um, and uh, Dev Patel uh, leads the cast as David Copperfield, and frankly, I don't think I've ever seen him in anything where I didn't like him. He, he's a very engaging and charming actor. Try watching The Last Airbender sometime. All right. <laughs> I, I will admit I haven't seen that. But, you know, just looking at him, he's just a nice kind of guy. He's engaging and charming, as I said, and I just thought he was perfect for this part. Now, you have to understand... You know, he's a person of color being Indian, and I don't think David Copperfield was written as such, but that's another point I'm going to bring up in, in a moment. Um, uh, he is just wonderful as, as David Copperfield. I think he just has the charm for uh, for this story, uh, needed for this story. I thought he was perfect. Um, uh, other actors that I really stood out, well, everybody was so good, but Hugh Laurie, as Mr. Dick, is just outstanding. I thought, you know, he's a quirky, crazy guy, um, and I just loved him in, uh, I just loved him in the role. Um, Tilda Swinton uh, stars as Aunt Betsy Trotwell, and uh, Ben uh, Wishaw, I'm sure I just messed up his last name, but he's quite a well-known uh, actor. Um, he plays Uriah Heep, and Peter Capaldi plays Mr. Micawber, and those are some of the main characters. Um, I also liked uh, Daisy May Cooper, who played Peggotty, who is his uh, his mother's maid and also sort of his um, uh, caretaker, nanny, I guess you would say. And then also um, Rosalind 
Elazar, who apparently is more of a stage actress in uh, London, uh, plays Agnes, who is one of his best friends and also somewhat of a love interest um, eventually, too. And all of them are just wonderful uh, actors. I mean, they're really some of the top actors uh, in in Britain, and and they gather together just a great cast for this movie. And finally, my, my third observation uh, or, or note that I'd like people to take take note of, um, uh, Iannucci um, cast his actors in this movie in a colorblind process. Um, in other words, um, there are roles in the movie um, that are filled by actors and um, their race or ethnicity. I mean, you have the characters in the novel and you have these roles in the movie and they're filled, filled by very good actors, but their race and ethnicity really play no part in defining who plays a role. Um, so uh, I think, you know, this is not the usual thing that you see, and certainly uh, Dickens' novels were not, uh, these characters in this particular novel were not a diverse uh, group of characters, but I think the idea is that you you don't it's a it, you don't see the color you these are as i say actors playing roles and i thought that was um really a very interesting thing to do and i you know it's been called for for years now to to make movies that way and so this is one where they they do um anyway that's the some just some of the eccentric characters in this story yeah uh i I have mixed feelings on this film. I thought it was somewhat entertaining. Uh, I thought the cast was great, but uh, I don't know if it totally appealed to me. It was a little too maybe quirky, which, you know, I sort of like that style, but I just didn't like this version of quirky. It uh, reminded me of sort of a old-school British comedy, uh, uh, you know, from the uh, sort of Monty Python era, the 80s era, which might be why it appealed to to a sort of older demographic who, you know, like 80s-style, you know, British comedies. <laughs> I guess that's me. <laughs> uh, I I just, uh, but I think it was marketed towards a young audience, and I don't know if they will pick up on that sort of style of comedy, you know, back in the, uh, you know, old British days, uh, you know, Monty Python being the, you know, bell cow of 80s, 70s, and 80s British comedy. But, uh that sort of had a no storyline uh Monty Python it you know it sort of went wherever it went and it was craziness and i thought this was a little too structured for that and i, I got more of a feel of a sort of tim burton style uh comedy uh in the uh sort of big fish mars attacks uh peewee's big adventure style <laughs> you know where it's it's fun it's quirky and it's craziness and you have no real idea what's going on and you know i think some of it gets lost because it uses a david copperfield name and it's not really a david copperfield story it's just characters from a david copperfield you know the novel it has nothing to actually do anything with david copperfield other than in name really maybe this is the dickens version of peewee's big adventure well that could be you know? <laughs> dev patel playing I, you know i think this is the british take the on british peewee which you absolutely. know absolutely which and, isn't and, bad because i love them both i liked uh peewee's big adventure i just uh i don't know i didn't hate it but it was just a little something was missing from it i i don't know what and maybe it was just that 
I couldn't get over the fact that it's, you know, David Copperfield. So you expect one thing and it totally takes a left turn. Yeah. You know, if they had just made this movie with fictional characters they had made up, I might have been more sort of into it. I don't know. It just, uh, I can't really say what I didn't like about it. I just uh, sort of got a mixed feeling as I was watching it. Well, let me um, give a little bit of background, just just a bit, and that it's um, it starts out. The movie starts out with a very engaging opening. I think it pulls you in as uh, Dev Patel playing Copperfield is on stage, um, and he steps into this backdrop into the very moment he's born, and he's observe, he's telling his story and he's observing himself as an infant and then a small boy, and then through a series of flashback, he proceeds to tell you know sort of his life story um his personal history and um he navigates love and rejection wealth and poverty good and evil we see it all in this story um and uh and and then back at the end of the movie he appears back in front of his audience so that you know he's done with telling his story and he's become this sort of successful author throughout the whole story telling you know words he keeps diaries of words well i think maybe that might have been some of it too i I don't love movies with you know narration because yeah i just if you're telling me the story you're now telling it to me twice as somebody is narrating it, and then it's taking place on the screen. So I I haven't always loved narration in film because you're essentially double-telling me the story when I only yeah. just I didn't want... think it was too heavy-handed that No, way, it though. wasn't. It just, yeah. you know, you're listening to it, and then you're watching, and it's yeah. like, I don't need to be told. I'm watching the well, story sp- unfold. Speaking of watching, I, w- I would observe that um, it... I thought it was a beautiful period story in that you see great costuming, they uh, beautiful country and seasides. You see the city squalor of the time, factories where you know he worked, and um, and one set which I just loved at the seaside. They had turned a boat into a house. Yes, I did enjoy that. It, that was just really cute. I mean, I I just really thought that that, that was nice. And um, I will say just. To, as you're saying, I got bogged down at times too. I kind of wanted the story to move along, uh, and um, but I did enjoy the artistry, the acting, the storytelling, and and the humor. And if it has to be a modern day Pee Wee's or a British version of the Pee Wee's Big Adventure, I I'm fine with that. I I think that's an okay uh, parallel. Um, it's a fairly modern, lighthearted take on Dickens, although you think it has too much 1980s in it. Of course, the 1980s are still pretty modern to me. Maybe that's the problem. Um, and I read one review of it that where the reviewer said he thought that Dickens himself might have enjoyed this uh, Well, that movie. was what I was going to say. <laughs> now, that being said, if Dickens were born in this era, say in 1990, <laughs> I feel like this is the sort of type of writing and storytelling that Dickens would do. So, you know, I don't know how much you can really hate on it. Yeah, he and Iannucci may have had a lot in common. If, you know, I think this is sort of what Dickens would have been if he had been born in this area instead of the 1800s in Britain. Well, um, I will say that I, I, I agree in the sense that I don't think this movie is probably going to be everyone's cup of tea. I think, um, 
for one thing, um, you have to figure out right from the beginning that this casting was done without strict adherence to the race and ethnicity of the actors. Uh, and uh, you, you can't think of the characters or the uh, or the actors playing them in terms of whether they are white, black, Asian. They, you cannot think that way and enjoy this movie. Um, it, you just have to understand that's the way this has been done. And as I said, that I liked that. I did that didn't bother me, but it you know you will notice it. Um, you just can't think of it that way. And I think you have to be prepared to enjoy the story for its quirkiness. Not worry too much about the plot or the original Dickens novel. Um, uh, you know, and and some people won't really be able to do that. And uh, you know, I understand that as well. I just don't. I love the movie. I don't think everyone will love the movie. One other thing I wanted to throw out that I, you know, back on uh, that um, on the casting for this movie too. Uh, uh, I read that um, Dev Patel. I think we all know that was born in London. He's British, but he was born of immigrant Indian parents. And uh, Iannucci was born in Scotland of Italian parents. And I think that all played into this in the sense of making this kind of story and casting it the the way they did. I mean, I don't know that for sure. I have no problem with the casting. I thought all the actors were great. I agree that Q Laurie and Tilda Swinton were uh, really, really uh, exciting. And um, so I just, it's more a... Well, I agree with you. As I thought about this, um, you know, I did like the movie. I enjoyed it. But... um, it is possible, you said this to me, that it's a little too quirky. <laughs> yeah, I think that's where it hits. And some people will be will not like that. It will be quirky to the point of being silly. Well, I think that's yeah. where I get my uh, Tim Burton sort of take. Yeah. In like Mars Attacks, where it's, yeah. you know, it's over the top, just mm-hmm. quirky and insane. And I know a lot of people love Mars Attacks. And I am, you know, I'm sort of lukewarm on Mars Attacks. So... It might just be a little over quirky for me. Yeah, I, I can totally see that. I mean, you, you, uh, I, I can see how people could watch it and say, eh, but this then is I, stupid. <laughs> I find it weird because I'm such like a Wes Anderson film, which yeah. I also sort of got a little Wes Anderson vibe off of. Yeah, his a little are bit a little different. But though. his are, yeah. they're quirky, but they're a little more grounded to earth quirky. And this was totally like half a fever dream sometimes. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Well, they say that David Copperfield was one of Dickens' favorite novels and that he wrote it a lot about his own life, his own uh, childhood. So, I, like I say, I think he would, maybe he would have enjoyed the movie. I don't know. But um, I, I, it definitely has an audience who will like it, and it's probably a pretty narrow audience overall. Yeah, so just <laughs> don't remake The Christmas Carol like this. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so we've reviewed it. Where are you sitting, ranking-wise, 1 through 10? Okay, I I ranked it 8 because it was quite appealing to me. But having said what I just said a a few minutes ago, I think it might be a 1 or a 2 for a lot of people. (laughs) I I see it as, uh, if you like that genre, and I think uh, if you like like old-school British comedies, I think you will like this movie. Uh But uh, I'm more in the 4 range. I don't hate it. I don't mind watching it. I don't know if I will return back to it and rewatch it, you know, numerous times over. But, you know, it's so quirky and weird. It might have stuff that I missed, and uh, I could return and rewatch. So right now I'm a four. 
Okay, so we've done the personal history of David Copperfield, and we'll go to a little bit lighter note. The Netflix sequel, The Christmas Chronicles 2, with Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. Now, I loved the first one. I watched this one. I wasn't quite as in love with this one, but it's still very entertaining. And once again, as we did, you know, Jingle Jangle Christmas about two weeks ago, I think these are what Netflix does best. And uh, this sort of reiterated it. Now, uh, we have some more uh, Academy Award nominee-type movies coming up from Netflix. We'll see how they do with those. But uh, these sort of playful holiday spirit movies seems to be Netflix uh, bag and genre that they seem to be able to hit without uh, too much missing here. Yeah, because who's going to destroy a Christmas movie, you know? No reviewer wants to do that. Um, I will say there are just so many Christmas shows on television, on the streaming services. I mean, on, you know, the network television and streaming services. Old ones, new ones. Um, And this time of year, really, how do you choose? Uh, I, um... I almost dreaded watching this because, well, uh, one more Christmas movie. And I did see, I did watch the one in 2018, and I couldn't remember it very well, which frankly made me think it wasn't that good. I have gone back and and watched at least part of it now, and I I do sort of remember it. And I I liked it. I I enjoyed it. And to tell you the truth, I enjoyed this one too. Um, and, And I will say that, there are a lot of Christmas movies that I just think are stupid. I can't watch them. I, you know, they're they're just not any good. And I would put this one in a group that um, I would recommend and watch. Uh, let me just say, Kurt Russell is the best Santa ever, <laughs> and I think we should have known that when we saw him in the, uh, the Hateful Eight. Is that what it is? Yes. Uh, yeah, Hateful Eight. It, when he was wearing those big fur coats and had all that hair. We should have known then he would have been a great Santa Claus, and he is. Well, I think He's you're wonderful. possibly the only person to <laughs> compare the Christmas Chronicles to Quentin Tarantino <laughs> films. but uh, Well, I wasn't exactly comparing the films. I don't, just, maybe Quentin has one in the bag that he's coming out with. Just noting <laughs> that when you saw Kurt, Kurt Russell in those big fur coats, he was perfect match for mm. Santa Claus. And, I mean, he, and in this movie, he's sweet and yet irreverent. And he drives his sleigh like he's at the Indy 500. So I mean, it's it's you know it's not one of these sweet little movies. It's got some some little. I mean, this Santa is a rockin' Santa. Yeah. And and in the first one, he complains about being called fat, and you know he said Santa isn't fat, and he doesn't say ho ho ho. So you know I think uh, that's kind of uh, that's kind of where he the take on on him. And I just want to note that in this particular the Christmas Chronicles. Um, Mrs. Claus is played by Goldie Hawn, which, of course, we all know he and uh, Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn have been long-term partners and, you know, have a family together. And she is I just delightful as uh, she plays that uh, Mrs. Claus to, to the hilt. She's just adorable. Of course, I think Goldie Hawn is cute anyway. Um, and um, together... You know, those two have a real spark. And, you know, you get the idea that Mr. and Mrs. Claus really are in love, you know, in in this movie. And they really like each other and work together to make Christmas what it is. And, uh, you know, it is a story, if you've seen the first one or uh, whether you have... You can watch the second one without having seen the first one. It's not dependent. Although the kids are the same. The actors of the kids uh, are the same. Um, 
and they've grown up, uh, you know, a bit, of course. The kids are cute. Um, I think uh, the story isn't too bad, though it's pretty average. Uh, and um, I think that, uh, you know, there are things in it, the characters, the elves, the elves are hilarious. Um, the magic of Santa's village and you know, it has kind of a, a exciting drama about it and some special effects that, that make it fun to, uh, to watch. Um, so I liked it, uh, and frankly, I, I won't even wait for you to ask me for a recommendation, I mean a rating. I'm going to give it a 10. Everybody mm. drop what you're doing right this second and go watch The Christmas Chronicles. Well, I, I liked the first one much better than I liked this one. Uh, this one's... Definitely got a little more money into it, and uh, uh, Chris Columbus, who directed the uh, didn't direct the first one, but was the executive producer, took over and directed this one. And he is, uh, well, I mean, in the '90s, he was one of the big time directors of the '90s. He did Home Alone, he did Adventures of Babysitting, he's done Harry Potter's. You know, he was right. an it guy. He's sort of been semi retired. He doesn't do that much stuff, but he popped back for this one. So I thought this one had a little more of a big sort of picture feel yeah. than the first one, which was, you know, sort of a, just a fun Christmas right. story. This one had a little bit more of a epic adventure, which yes. uh, I thought sort of took away from it just a little bit. I did, Actually, I think kids will like that. Yes. Well, I, you know, they definitely uh, crammed the elves in it much more than they did in the uh, I first like the one. elves. <laughs> well, that's the thing. So, uh, you know, it's that sort of stuff that I didn't, you know, didn't love quite as much. It was where the, you know, the first one, while it was, you know, make-believe, it sort of had a little bit more of a human element in this one, where this one was a little more elf and craziness sort of yeah. storyline, which, yeah. while fun... A little more fantasy, yes, too. It, there was, it's yeah. a little more fantasy land, where right. the other one, you know, pokes in some fantasy land with a little bit more of a true story into well, it. Well, I just loved Mrs. Claus. Yes. I thought they did a great job creating that character. And it, it was, she's just great. Yeah, her and Kurt are, yeah. you know, great. And they could carry this movie and probably carry it uh, till the yeah. end of time with sequels Sandler, go. But the Christmas Chronicles 25. Is yes. The, or, well, they're, they're aging. Or <laughs> at least till they both uh, move Their on into the next take, life. Take so, over for them. So overall, I probably was about a six in this one, whereas the one before I, I really enjoyed and was probably about an eight. So, Well, frankly, I, I gave it a 10 just because I think it's a, you know, maybe you can go, your family, your kids, you know, whatever, can go watch it and forget about the pandemic for a while. But, but as I mentioned to you earlier, and I'm going to put in a plug, my favorite Christmas movie of all time is Elf, and it will get a 10 every day of the week from me, and this one doesn't come quite I close like to that. I like the Muppet Christmas Carol. No, I like Elf. <laughs> <laughs> Give me Will Ferrell. <laughs> All right, so that's our movie review for the week. We got a big one coming up next week. We're going to do Mank, and uh, that's uh, probably the leading... Oscar contender. Yes, that's probably the number one Oscar contender right now. We'll see if David Fincher can uh, bring this uh, movie together. So uh, we're going to do Mank, and then uh, the next two movies, we're going to possibly have a dud day with uh, super intelligence and <laughs> oh, it's the bombs yes and hillbilly allergy so that's about two weeks away uh we're gonna do make first because uh that one might be a little bit more of a a meaty movie than uh, we've done the last we day. hope so well we hope so it also could be very long dribble <laughs> so uh knowing david fincher and 
uh, whether Netflix was going to put any restraints on him. It also might be six hours long. So, uh, all right, that's our movie review today. We're going to go into our TV review with Dr. M. Sage. All right, we're going to be joined by our television and episodic show critic and extraordinaire, Dr. M. Sage, to break down the interesting Emily in Paris. I I guess let's go with lighthearted Emily in Paris. Uh, Much a different uh, sort of left turn than what we did uh, last week in the the, uh, more serious sort of TV show. So... What were your initial thoughts of Emily in Paris here? Well, first of all, Emily is, she's a junior executive at a marketing firm. I'll give a little background here. Her firm is is in Chicago, and her firm has recently acquired a French marketing firm called Savoir. Circumstances arise. She's sent to Paris instead of her boss to oversee this transition and to bring an American perspective to the Paris firm, or so we're told. This, uh, this show is disguised as a rom-com, but it's really a fish-out-of-water story. Emily doesn't speak French. She seems to try to want to run the business. Her boss is rude and dismissive. All of the people who work at Savoir are uh, rude and dismissive. Emily becomes an influencer, and by the end of the season, she's had some successes at work, and she's won over a couple of her colleagues, I think. Uh, But she also becomes involved in several love triangles. Yeah, that's quite an uh, involved season. (laughs) Yeah, it is a fish out of water. That's sort of the first where I went, but it's sort of a bunch of different things. I think that was sort of my main problem with it. It's got about 15 different love stories and then you know it sort of has a a girl trying to make herself too you know it I think it tries to hit the feminine aspect at least for about two episodes and then that sort of down slant as she begins sleeping with every French man she seems to come across in this so I don't know I guess fish out of water probably was my first thought uh when I first watched the first episode though before I saw who created it I was like I think a dude wrote this. And then, uh, of course. (laughs) Exactly. You know, I was like, I think a dude wrote this. And then, of course, Darren Starr's name pops up right at the, you know, end who, you know, has done Beverly Hills 90210 and Melrose Place and Sex in the City. And I was like, great. An An old dude tried to, you know, write a young woman's fish out of water story. So, uh. I, I, I will say I liked the back end episodes that he didn't write more than I liked the front end episodes. I, I thought that the sort of tail end of the season got a little bit better than what I, I saw up front. What do you think of overall? I I thought that the last few episodes also were better than the the first few, but it wasn't a show that made me laugh. Hence. I didn't understand the well, that, romantic I thought comedy aspect. They kept of it. trying to drop these like funny, like modern, like jokes in it, and I was like, I don't. That's not that funny. Uh, when she first like opens the thing, and it's like, oh, it's Moulin Rouge, and I'm like, I don't think it's Moulin Rouge. That's a whorehouse. What does <laughs> you know? I didn't understand that line either. I, I was thought, like, uh, where is she going with this? Yes, I was like. 
Moulin Rouge, as in it's in Paris, but uh, I didn't quite get a lot of the sort of modern jokes that they tried to make or that they just didn't land or something like that. And also, I don't think they landed. I, I think the writing was really quite poor. The show has so many different issues. It's so problematic in many ways. The other thing I, I just thought was weird right off the bat is, uh, you know, Kate Walsh, the woman in charge, uh, got pregnant and like, I'm not like meaning to discourage, but Kate Walsh is a 50 year old woman. I think we all have watched her act for 40 years now. The odds of Kate Walsh becoming pregnant in her fifties just seemed a little like they could have given her something else, some sort of health issue. You know, she got on the no fly list. (laughs) You know, I thought so too. And, And I thought even if she were pregnant by some stretch of the imagination, far stretch of the imagination. Why would that prevent her from taking Well, that a was my second Paris? thought. Women have babies in Paris. That's what I was like. If she just got pregnant and they were only going over there for a year, why couldn't she go there, over there for the first six months at least? What what was stopping that? I, It just seemed like a weird way to sort of kick off the show. But uh, that was, I, I thought it got a little better. Uh, maybe as I got to know, you know, the characters a little more uh, towards the end, but it wasn't overall anything I hated because I I thought it moved a little quick. The episodes, you know, sort of, they were in, they were quick and finished easy. And like each one was sort of, she finds a new love. She finds, you know, something else to promote and then it ended. So I didn't totally hate it overall. I just thought it was sort of a nothing sort of series with, I guess it was trying to be a comedy that I found not really that funny. I didn't find it funny. Uh, I didn't like the series. Uh, It's very full of stereotypes. I thought, you know, if I see Emily in one more beret, which is ridiculous, only tourists wear the berets. She had berets on throughout. I thought that was hilarious. She's always wearing high heels on these cobblestone streets, stilettos. And just the whole premise of this junior executive being sent to this, to oversee this transition, it didn't, it didn't work. I just thought the whole premise of the show didn't work. When you're writing, um, there's only so much you can, only, only so much belief you can suspend. And this show was asking you to suspend belief so many times that, I lost interest in it. I think it's aimed at a younger demographic than me. I'll I'll tell you that right now. It does already have a second season coming. So it's got to be aimed more towards, uh, you know, maybe the 15 to 25 age group, which is not me. Yeah. Uh, I guess it was aimed at a younger demographic. I I might be just a little aged out of it, but I assumed – you know, most of these actors and actresses were in the thing are around my age other than the boss. And I don't know. It just seemed like the social media aspect seemed very weird, especially when, uh, like, when she first gets there, she has, like, 200 followers. And I'm like, aren't you supposed to be a marketing executive? Why do you have 200 followers? Currently speaking, I have more than 200 followers. So I was a little confused about this big time marketing exec, you know, 
who was coming over there to hit and you know she started her thing Emily in Paris and it only had 200 followers I figured she had been a little more popular before she moved out of Chicago the other thing I thought was weird is they kept saying all these rude French people and then everyone she seemed to come across would fall in love with her pretty much instantly so I was I was like where are all these rude French people the only person who seemed really all that hateful was uh, the boss. So I, yes, the boss is either mean and uh, dismissive and annoyed or jealous and annoyed. And it got old fast. Yeah, I even I, thought the, the costumes, the, the clothes that they had Sylvie wearing by the end were very repetitive. She always wore a skirt that was slit all the way to the top of her thigh. And I thought, I don't think a, executive would be wearing this to work every day yeah that was a little weird Uh, she started out without the slit and then by like episode three or four every dress had a slit that came up the whole thing and i was like exactly did they just run out of wardrobe and we're like this is all we have let's toss it this way because uh they certainly dressed everybody else up in some sort of uh more high-end style clothing now i have a question do you think that this show is borrowing from Devil Wears Prada? We've I got the it... name Emily. We've got the boss who is dismissive and rude, but it's not done as well as the Devil Wears Prada. No. I thought this the premise was essentially Devil Wears Prada and then sort of meets Sex in the City as, you know, her and all the girlfriends meet together. But it, it felt a lot more like tail end of Sex in the City, those later seasons where they just weren't as good. It, I didn't... I didn't love her friends quite as much as, you know, you'd like the Sex in the City crew where you had grown to like all of them. I, I don't really know if I liked any of them. I guess the the blonde French girl I, I thought was solid, but... Uh, Camille. Camille was a, was a good character. I liked Camille. I did not like her other friend very much. Yeah, Mindy uh, Chen. Mindy Chen. I thought that that played like an American when she's supposed to be Chinese. Yeah, I... Well, they just use sort of the the new, you know, Asian cliche where now they're all rich and famous and tour about and, you know, throw parties. And I'm like, okay, well, that's the new thing now. But uh, I just, I don't think I liked really any, I liked the chef. I will say the chef was kind of cool. But once again, that was a little cliched as well. The French guy living in the apartment is, of course, a, you know, a chef trying to run a restaurant. I'm like, why couldn't he just... I was going to say exactly the same thing. I liked Gabrielle, the chef. I thought his character was the most believable. Yes. But he was also pretty one-dimensional, and I might have liked him because he was very handsome. Yeah, well, they they certainly threw in pretty much every French guy who (laughs) was rather attractive in this. I mean... I did find that. That's what I found amusing. Every French guy they found sort of was possibly just off the GQ magazine out there. So, but uh, no, his character, I I think I probably tolerated the best. Uh, The professor was sort of okay, especially for his quick little run scene. But, uh, and uh, the the champagne wine boy, that might have been the only time I actually laughed. (laughs) I thought that the scene really the the show did have one really good scene that stood out to me, and that's the only scene that I actually remember 
in its entirety. And it's a scene where she's going to the ballet. She's dressed to the nines and actually looks gorgeous in that scene. And she runs into the famous designer that she's supposed to be representing. And she gives this monologue about how girls who can't afford to look like the girls on Gossip Girl go to the outlet mall and they buy what they can. And I thought that was probably the most memorable scene to me, at least, in the series. Yeah, I I, I liked that scene. The only problem was I, I was like, I don't know if this fashion designer knows what the hell Gossip Girl is. <laughs> oh, but he did. Yes, they had because him do that it. Only, remember, that was the only thing he knew. He said, oh, Gossip Girl. So yeah. he knew Gossip Girl. Yes, and I know. And he called Emily Gossip Girl. I just didn't totally See, buy it. It isn't a very memorable show, is it, Jim? I enjoyed Gossip Girl. I don't know if it quite made its way to France out there. <laughs> so I was like... That's a good point. This... Like, 70-year-old high-end fashion designer is watching the CW shows from the mid-2000s and has learned to love it. I, I was like, eh, I don't know. Maybe if I... that's where he learned English. Who knows? <laughs> I guess that could be. I guess he could have learned English from Gossip Girl. But uh, I thought the scene, that scene was really good. Uh, I didn't. But that was, once again, one of those where they put in a modern-day sort of you know, touch to a old guy who I'm like, I don't know if he would have seen gossip. You would have been probably better off going with like devil's wears Prada or something. Just a little more well, not mainstream. Only that, but, uh, gossip girl. Isn't even that modern anymore. Yeah, I, I know. Think, it's it? literally a show for my age. I watched it in the early to mid two thousands. And I was like, I don't know if this quite hit and it, it didn't even run all that long. It's only had about five seasons. So I, it, I don't think it's the, that shows, that shows the age of the writer. Yes. The, the writing just isn't up to, uh, modern standards. I would say for, a, for a show that's supposed to be hip and modern, I don't think it makes the mark. Well, that's what I think. He was trying to make it hip and modern, and he's no longer hip and modern. You know, in the early 90s, when Beverly Hills 90210 and Melrose Place were running, he was hip and modern. He was young. He knew everything. And then, you know, he sort of aged into Sex and the City as they were, you know, more adult-like. And that was sort of his age group. And now, you know, he's aged even further, but now he's come down back into sort of Beverly Hills 90210 territory. And I don't think he quite understands the culture. It looks like, you know, he's watched young girls from outside and like, oh, this is what they do. I'll write this into the show. You just hit the nail on the head. That's exactly the problem with the show. That, And I think that the acting was really one-dimensional. And that could be because the writing was bad. Yeah, I was going I, to I ask, what, any what did you make of Lily Collins' performance? I, I'm sort of hot and cold on her. Some stuff I've liked her in, some stuff I haven't. But uh, I wasn't in love with her here. I certainly wasn't in love with her like every one of those French dudes seemed to just instantly be charmed with her. I was like, she's yes, kind of annoying. <laughs> I don't know if they were trying to show that the French men loved her because she was American or because she was beautiful or what. I couldn't quite figure yeah, out. I couldn't figure that out either. I I was also confused by the, they sort of tried to make her like she was a hick coming out of America. And I was like, 
She's from Chicago. It's the second biggest city in the United States. I mean, you know, you can. Yes. We wouldn't. Somebody from like Marseille would come here. We wouldn't be like, oh, that hick from, you know, the small town in France. No, we wouldn't. And I don't think that they did a very good job of making her seem like she was from Chicago. Yeah, I, I just I didn't quite. She was a city girl going to another big city. Now, granted, it's Paris and it's different than Chicago, but I mean, there's still two large cities. It wasn't like she was from some tiny town in Indiana, which I guess they made a joke about, though that was Indianapolis, which also is not a tiny, it's a massive city as well. So, no, everything just seemed a little off. It did. And she's afraid to ride the subway. They talk about that. She can't understand the subway, which boggles my mind if you're from Chicago and you yes, don't know I how know. to ride a train. Also, here's this young woman who's, you know, she's supposedly feminist and she's bringing up the Me Too movement and she brings an inappropriate cake to work to get back at the guys at work who are harassing her. She can't figure out to ride the subway. Where in the heck did she figure out? How did she know where to find a penis cake? I'm sorry, but I don't know where to find one. I would really have to look for that. And in France, in Paris, she just knew where to find one. Well, I, I guess maybe she act the, sh- the chefy boyfriend uh, <laughs> if he knew any bakers. <laughs> Could be. It didn't come up in their conversation, but I thought that was a really strange scene. It's trying to make her seem so very, I don't even know the word for it. It's not hip. It's not, I don't know. Yeah, I think it. I thought that was a very strange scene. Yeah, it It. I think it was just working too hard to try to be hip and cool. And they did sort of try to do the, me too movement i guess in the i guess it was the middle scenes with the you know uh sent you know provocateur fraction guy but uh then you know the guy selling high-end cologne i or perfume i'm like you know when you buy that i think you sort of know what you're walking into here it's not meant for the me too movement but but they also sort of just did that for a couple episodes, and then that sort of died down, too, by the back end. Yes. It it was thrown in, and then it disappeared. So I guess that she wasn't really that much into the, into the Me Too movement. Yeah, I actually, know. Actually, in real life. So Emily, come on, woman. <laughs> so what would you make of the outfits? I did enjoy a lot of the outfits. Now, granted, walking around in high heels in Paris, probably not all that I'd say healthy for your feet or ankles, but uh, I definitely did like the uh, fashion, certainly the ones they put on uh, Lily Collins. And uh, I even like the ones they sort of put on uh, Ashley Park as uh, Mindy Chin too. So what'd you make of sort of the fashion choices in this? The fashion was, was uh, younger than my demographic. I thought it was very good. It was, it was something that I could see uh, someone in her position wearing. I thought that it looked, it didn't look Parisian, which is what they were trying to do with the fish out of water story. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was very interesting. Uh, it was definitely uh, au courant out of the fashion magazines. 
I thought that the uh, set design was really beautiful. I mean, it's shot around Paris and the suburbs of yeah, Paris. Yeah, I was going to say was that was just a nice sort of scenery porn as you pretty much just film everything around Paris. So, you know, no yeah, matter what the... Yeah, a shot of the Eiffel Tower every now and then and all lit up. It's gorgeous. Yeah, definitely. And uh, I also liked when they uh, went to Champagne and uh, sort of filmed all that winery sort of scenes too. Yeah, those were beautiful, beautiful scenes. The, I, I liked the set the design. The sitting in the lap in the convertible was thing, gorgeous. I was a little weirded out by, but... I'm sorry, the, what did you say? When she sat in the, you know, the boyfriend's lap in the convertible as they were. Yes, that was an interesting choice. I just figured part. they probably got delivered the wrong car on set and had to make do or something. I'm guessing that was on purpose for laughability, but it didn't quite work. I was, I was, that was one of those where I was like, why? <laughs> yeah, it was kind of cringy. All right. So it was a little cringy. Did you like the ending of the show? Or were you sort of like, eh, ho hum? I was ho hum about it. I didn't think it really. I just never felt any real emotion throughout the series. It's not like I was sitting there and thinking, oh, I can't wait to see how they end this and what's going to happen in season two. I think that that, I think it's probably my age group that is the reason for the, for the, the lower rating that I'm planning to give it. Yeah. Uh, I didn't hate the ending. I, I, you know, I thought it was pretty obvious what was going, especially I had already known there was it going was. Especially, I had already known when there was going to be a season two when I started watching this. So at that point, I, I knew what was sort of going to happen there. How about the question, will you watch a season two of Emily in Paris? I will watch a season two of Emily in Paris if I am planning to review it. <laughs> okay, I'll keep that in mind. Uh, I don't know. It, I felt like it. it was pretty... I could watch it pretty easy, so I didn't love it. I don't hate it. It was just sort of something I could put on in the background and uh, be like, oh, that's a terrible joke, or one of those where I sort of watch it at one and a half speed, so it's a little quicker. <laughs> but uh, I thought the show was very shallow. Yes, it was definitely uh, way simplistic and too sort of... Uh, there was no depth, really, in the whole thing. It was just sort of new client, new sort of pictures, and then uh, new guy who sort of likes her. <laughs> yeah, I would not watch a shallow show unless it had something else, some much more, even more eye candy for me, or it was something that I could have on in the background and actually sort of enjoy. I can't say I really enjoyed it. I thought it was kind of insipid, if you really want to know the truth. Yeah. All right. So we'll get to our ratings for this, one through five. I'm curious where you're going. You're probably lower on it than I am. Where are you sitting I here? I think I am. I'm giving it a one star because I think you could easily pass on Emily in Paris. I think if you are of a young female demographic, you might enjoy it more than I did in they would probably give it more of a, I would give it a three star for that age demographic. Yeah, I'm sitting almost there. I'm about a two and a half. 
I don't love it. Uh, if I had never seen it, why I would have been okay. And the fact that I did see it, I'm not any more the better. But uh, I guess it let me talk on this show. So <laughs> I'd say that's fair. Definitely a fair rating. I would never have given it more than a two ever. Yeah. I, I, I just, if I hadn't watched it, I wouldn't miss it. I liked seeing Paris, so I was okay with it. <laughs> I did enjoy seeing Paris, too. Oh, if you just show me scenes of Paris, I automatically give it a two, and then the show <laughs> finishing in completion, I give the extra half-star boost. So <laughs> that's where the okay. two and a half comes from. All right, so next week... We got a a more popular show, let's say. The Crown. Yes. I the think Crown. it's season four, season is that four. right? Season four, yes, the Crown. I have season four of the Crown. I'm halfway through. Just a little hit. I'm not as in love with this season as I was in earlier seasons. Ooh, foreshadowing. Yes. But it might get better. I don't know. But the Princess Die stuff's a little weird. Okay, I won't give anything away until we talk again. All right. Next week, The Crown Season 4. Thank you, Dr. M. Sage, for joining us. And that's it. All right, so let's go through some European results. Let's start out in the Champions League, and let's see what went down this week. Uh, A handful of very interesting results and uh, sort of stuff that is going to make for a very interesting week next week. I think the biggest stunner so far was, once again, Real Madrid uh, dropped the fixture to Shakhtar Donetsk, and uh, this puts them in real, real danger of maybe missing out of getting out of the group. They're now tied for third with Shakhtar Donetsk at seven points. Gladbach has eight points. Inter has five points. So everybody is still alive in this group. Uh, Shakhtar has not been able to beat anybody but Madrid. So uh, right now, I think Inter will definitely uh, beat Shakhtar Donetsk and uh, move on. And you you have next week's fixture, Real Madrid versus Gladbach. And uh, Real going to Gladbach and... uh, can they advance? Because they will have to win this match to uh, jump past Gladbach. It, it will be a very interesting fixture. And the way Real Madrid has played, they once again looked awful. Really no offense throughout the whole entire match. And uh, Shakhtar Donetsk took uh, a handful of possessions to go forward, got goals. And, um, you know, even with Kareem Bizima back, there was just nothing. And uh, you could sort of see this coming. You've been able to see it coming uh, all year long now. I did not think they'd lose again to Shakhtar Donetsk, but uh, once again it happened, and it makes for really an interesting uh, matchup versus Gladbach, who um, struggled versus Inter Milan. It was probably the best match uh, Inter Milan has played in a long while. A lot of energy, a lot of effort, and uh, I just thought uh, Inter Milan really played well in a really exciting game, 3-2. Once again, their defense is a little faulty, they let Gladbach back into the match a couple times, but uh, can't say enough about Romian Lukaku. Just uh, dominated the fixture, was you know holding up balls, uh, creating play, and uh, really was just awesome in this game. If you could get that type of performance from Inter, uh, you know consistently, I think they would have already been at the top of this table. But uh, you 
you know, the previous two weeks, they'd been awful. They'd been awful in Syria. And uh, Gladback, who had a chance to really separate themselves and move on, uh, just couldn't defend enough in this matchup. Now they have their chance. They play Real Madrid this coming week. You beat Real Madrid, and uh, you're there. So uh, you tie Real Madrid, and you move on. That's pretty much all you have to do. They were up on Real Madrid. They had dominated Real Madrid and uh, allowed two goals late in their last time they played each other. So really interesting uh, to see uh, how that's going to break down. Uh, Atletico Madrid could have put themselves past playing a, you know, a B, technically probably a C side of Bayern Munich. And uh, once again, for some reason, Diego Simeone, uh, Got up one nothing. decided to park the bus, and uh, even the young kids of Bayern Munich found a way to get goals. Why he did not push forward, uh, why he took Jao Felix out, I will never know. This was not the time to, you know, sit back and defend. You have the offense, you're playing a weak Bayern squad, go out there, get the three points, and uh, move on. Uh, really disappointing result for Atletico Madrid. I think they'll still move on, uh, but uh, that matchup, it looked just, just poor. I hate when Diego Simeone just does that. He had the chance to just annihilate this Bayern Munich side who was already advanced and had no care in the world about this game, and you just let them stay in it. You accepted it, and uh, Bayern found their goal and tied this game up, and now you have to sort of play one extra match to try to move on, and uh, it'll be really interesting uh what how Real Salzburg comes out because uh they got a little life to them they can score points and uh, while it'd be a stunning upset it wouldn't you know be something that you totally not foresee happening I, I think this Salzburg team can steal a result here uh, so it'll be very interesting to see how Atletico comes out in that uh, Man City had already moved on played a sort of Marginal fixture versus Porto, 0-0, nothing to see there. Uh, Liverpool uh, really played a really nice game to get a result, 1-0 versus Ajax. Ajax uh, couldn't take advantage of sort of a a lighter Liverpool squad, though I, don't, I say lighter when half their team is hurt right now, and, you know, lighter is pretty much all they have, but... Uh, Liverpool able to steal that result. Ajax will be battling their lives for, you know, someone who's been disappointing really the last four to five weeks, and that's at Atlanta. Had to really struggle and push hard to get a 1-1 tie versus Midtland when all they had to do was win this game and they were moving on, especially with the Ajax loss. And uh, they're still probably going to move on, but uh, the way they're looking in Syria, the way they're looking in Champions League... There's just not that flow, not that offensive scoring right now, and uh, it's really disappointing to see. I'm hoping this week maybe something comes together, maybe they bounce back. I I will be very sad if they cannot get into the Champions League spot in Syria, but uh, I, I just wonder if this is... You know, all these fixtures, you know, right on top of each other is really hurting this side. And uh, they just haven't been able to, you know, play their way into results and uh, play their high, you know, high energy, high aggressive style like they want to. Uh, But uh, I think their focus now needs to be in Syria and getting into the Champions League spots because uh, 
I just I want this side to stay relevant and uh, missing those Champions League spots, whether they move on out of the group or not. Uh, I still think they will, but uh, it's important for them to move into Syria and just a really, once again, very disappointing to come away with just a 1-1 mid-to-land result. When, uh, and they really had to push hard to try to get that. They were losing pretty much the whole game. Just, uh, once again, really disappointing from at Atlanta. Uh, the big fixture on uh, Wednesday was, uh, of course, uh, Man United versus PSG, and PSG uh, came away with the result, 3-1. Uh, some Ali uh, coaching decisions that were a little weird. Why Fred uh, came back out at halftime, uh, I don't know. Uh, he should have gotten red carded for the uh, headbutt. I know it didn't make contact, but we've seen it over and over in numerous leagues and in the Champions League. If you toss that head into another person, even if it doesn't make contact, you get a red card. So he he got a reprieve there, and then you know he had a, another poor tackle late in that first half, and then he came out and... He just, you can't be that aggressive. And you knew the ref was eyeing it. And why you didn't take him out for a Pogba, for a Vanderbeck, it, it's just uh, even a Matich for that reason. Uh, puzzling. I thought PSG, I didn't think they looked great, but uh, they had enough heart and they played hard enough to sort of get the those goals. Uh, Cavani missed a beautiful chance just off the crossbar. What a shot that was. If that had gone in, that would have been really something. But uh, PSG got the result they need, and I, I think they'll move on now. They have a pretty, I say easy fixture, but uh, you never know with the way uh, that PSG will come out. But uh, Istanbul back Shair, they should be able to win that game, and that sets up Man United RB Leipzig. For pretty much a showdown. Uh, if Leipzig can get this result, Man United will not come out of the group. Leipzig will come out of the group. Uh, if Man United can get a tie, they will come out of the group. So that should be one hell of a matchup. Really entertaining to see that. And uh, I that'll be uh, must-watch television next week. Uh, Man United versus RB Leipzig. Nothing else much uh, on that day was uh, uh, too... Exciting. Everything has sort of already been done. Sevilla and Chelsea. Uh, Chelsea won 4-0. Giroud had a really nice game, but uh, they had already both moved on. Dortmund won one uh, versus Laszlo, but uh, Dortmund had sort of already moved on. The only big news coming out of there is Haaland's hurt, and uh, we'll see if uh, Dortmund can maintain uh, without Haaland in the lineup for, uh, they said, at least till the end of the year. So that'll be really something to sort of keep an eye on. Club Bruges had a nice 3-0 win versus uh, Zenit. And uh, Barcelona, 3-0 win. Uh, Griezmann, sort of some life the last couple weeks. Uh, no messy here, but uh, Barcelona had long moved on. But uh, Griezmann, decent play of late. Uh, is this sort of the turnaround? Uh, rumors now of Lionel Messi going to PSG. Uh, I think uh, Man City's still probably the favorite there, but uh, I think that uh, marriage is probably starting to come to a close, and maybe we start to get these young guys in there. Uh, Dembele was in there. Griezmann had a goal. Uh, you just uh, Maybe it's time to finally sort of usher in the new guys and uh, see what they can do uh, for Barcelona now. Uh, Juventus, easy win versus Dynamo Kiev. They had already moved on. So that's your Champions League uh, sort of update for the week. We'll go to the fixtures in Europe. We'll start out in the English Premier League. What do we got uh, tomorrow? Well, we got uh, a little West Ham Man United. Now, this loses a little luster 
because Miguel Antonio has already been ruled out, I think it would have been a really interesting game if Miguel Antonio had played in this uh, fixture. But uh, right now, uh, Man United's about a plus 105 on the odds sheet. And um, I'm curious how they will come out uh, and what sort of lineup they'll play uh, versus a West Ham unit who's been pretty solid this year. I like the way they played, uh, but without Miguel Antonio, I... I'm not as excited to see if uh, West Ham can spring this update, but I still think there's a little life in West Ham, and I'd be I'd keep an eye on this fixture. Man City should throttle uh, Fulham, Everton. If they want to get back on track, the team to do it with is Burnley this week. Probably the most interesting game will be this Chelsea-Leeds game. Uh, I think that will be one hell of a watch. Uh, anybody who wants to watch a lot of open play Good, exciting soccer. Watch Chelsea and Leeds United. I think that will be really an exciting game. Chelsea is about a 190 favorite. Uh, I do think they'll probably get the win here, but uh, we'll see if that Chelsea defense is as strong as it has been lately. They played really good defense, but we'll see if uh, Leeds can crack them open. A three and a half over under goal line on this. So that should be really, really exciting to watch. Uh, I, I will really enjoy watching that matchup. On Sunday in the EPL, I, I think the big one definitely is Tottenham and Arsenal. Uh, we'll see if Arsenal has some life. Uh, they had a nice big win in the Europa League. Uh, Tottenham was a little lazy in the Re- Europa League, but uh, we'll see if Arsenal has uh, found a way to unlock uh, Aubameyang and uh, score some goals. Uh, we'll see what sort of uh, style of play Mourinho comes out will he sort of sit back again and go with that back six because if he does that I don't think Arsenal will score and see if he uh can get you know his big time guns uh Kane and Son and uh maybe Bale Bale played well during the Europa League but I don't know if uh he'll he'll probably come off the bench uh, on Sunday but uh Really interested to see how that fixture breaks down. Uh, another good one, though, without Raul Jimenez, uh, loses a little bit of its luster. Let's hope he can heal up and uh, come back uh, sometime later in the year. Liverpool and Wolves. Liverpool is a minus 200 favorite here, even without Raul Jimenez. I, I think this counterattacking bunch of Wolves could be a little dangerous here. So uh, that should be a really sort of uh, under-the-radar fixture to watch. Uh, I, I'll... I, Look for uh, Wolves to really put some defensive pressure on Liverpool and see if they can hit one of those counterattacks. Um, we'll see if Traore sort of can break out and uh, without Jimenez there, uh, sort of create more offense for himself and maybe uh, start to get some goals this season. Monday, uh, not much. Uh, Brighton and uh, Southampton. It should be an entertaining match to certainly watch. So, uh a decent slate in the Premier League. So let's move on to La Liga and see what we have going down in La Liga this week. Uh, Sevilla, Real Madrid, really interesting. Sevilla sort of parked the bus and uh, didn't play anybody this week in the Champions League, probably eyeing this fixture. Real Madrid uh, has just looked dreadful. Can they bounce back? Can they get a win versus Sevilla here? Uh, I actually look for Sevilla to win this matchup. I, I like the way Sevilla has played other than in that Champions League matchup. But uh, like I said, they, they weren't playing anybody in that one. They they had just, uh, they had already qualified. So we'll see what sort of matchup Sevilla-Real Madrid goes to. A lot of pressure growing on Zinedine Zidane. Uh, 
maybe they look past this game and focus on that Champions League because uh, I think if he doesn't get out of the group in Champions League, his he's probably done. And a uh, little sad, but uh, that's just sort of the way it works at uh, Real Madrid. But uh, Sevilla, Real Madrid, plus 160 on both sides, plus 250 the tie. The tie might be a decent way to play it too. Atletico Madrid versus Real Valladolid. Uh, decent matchup, uh, but uh, Atletico Madrid, uh, as we've said before, needs to keep on putting these wins in the bank, To uh, especially with Real and uh, Barcelona, both down right now in the Liga, to try to win this. Uh, minus 250 for uh, Atletico Madrid. Uh, I would not play that, but... Uh, should be an interesting uh, matchup to watch. Uh, a really good matchup, I think, that will be entertaining. Cadez versus Barcelona. Cadez has played with a lot of spirit and a lot of energy, and those type of teams have given Barcelona some problems this year. But uh, I will say Barcelona has looked a little bit livelier the last couple of weeks. Uh, can that trend continue? I, I suspect Messi will be back in the lineup this week. Minus 275 for Barcelona. I wouldn't touch it because they've struggled uh, so much with uh, teams like uh, Cadez, but uh, should be a fun fixture. I have enjoyed watching Cadez uh, play so far this year. Sunday, Osasuna versus Real Betis. That should be a pretty entertaining fixture. Uh, Osasuna did not play well last week. Do they bounce back? And uh, Real Betis is always an entertaining watch. And uh, Alivis, coming off their big win versus Real Madrid, plays Real Sociedad, who've had a couple sort of uh, hitches in the road the last couple weeks, have not been as dominant as they were early in the season. Do they bounce back here? They're a minus-115 favorite. Uh Alivi's uh, coming off a win versus Real Madrid. I look for him to sort of uh, come back down to earth. They weren't really a great squad before the Real Madrid win. So I look for Real Sociedad to bounce back in the minus 115. That seems like a pretty good play. All right, let's move on to the Bundesliga. Uh, uh, we missed the uh, Union Berlin-Hertha Berlin matchup on Friday. Uh, once again, Union Berlin's defense was pretty poor. Hertha Berlin starting to build a little life. I thought Gunduzi played really well in this matchup on Friday, but uh, we'll move on to fixtures that haven't happened yet. But uh, good win by Hertha Berlin. Union Berlin, a uh, couple bad games now in a row. Uh, Frankfurt-Dortmund uh, should be an interesting fixture. Frankfurt's uh, pretty much been the uh, draw machines of late, but... Uh, this will be Dortmund without Erling Holland. Uh, minus 105 favorites in this one. Uh, I don't know how they're going to react to this. I, I think this will be a high-scoring affair. Uh, Frankfurt at plus 250 might be a little bit of a nod, but uh, I'd be very curious to see how Dortmund comes out. Uh, Cologne and Wolfsburg, I look for uh, Wolfsburg to come out and dominate that game. I haven't liked the way Cologne has looked. Uh, the interesting one here is Gladbach versus Freiburg. What will Gladbach do with the uh, big matchup coming during Champions League in the week? Minus 110, I'd stay really away from that. Uh, Freiburg can be a little plucky at times, so I'd stay away from Gladbach this week. I think they'll... Their eyes will be on that Champions League fixture. And then a a really good matchup. And once again, a really interesting sort of, does Leipzig uh, focus on the Champions League uh, matchup during the week? Or did they play this one out versus Bayern Munich? Because uh, this is usually a pretty entertaining game. But uh, I don't know how much Leipzig will go out there for it when they have a very big uh, Champions League match during the week. So the plus 575 versus minus 225 for Bayern Munich. Uh, seems like a pretty much a standard fare here. I, I think uh, Leipzig will once again try to make sure they have enough legs for that Champions League matchup. 
Stuttgart and Warner Bremen uh, on Sunday. Not all that interesting. Uh, Leverkusen plays Schalke. Uh, Schalke continues to be poor, so I look for Leverkusen to uh, really dominate that one. And uh, uh, Osberg and Hoffenheim should be a pretty entertaining fixture, at least goal-wise, uh, on Monday for in the Bundesliga. So some decent matchups, but uh, some of them are sort of Champions League dependent. I think some of the uh, good matchups that we have uh, will sort of be pushed aside so uh, these teams that still have big-time Champions League matchups uh, on Tuesday and Wednesday will sort of not be focused on uh, their matchups uh, this weekend. Let's move on to Syria. And what do we got this weekend, Syria? Uh, pretty lopsided matchup in Juventus and Torino. Don't look for too much there. Uh, Intermon plays Bologna, another sort of lopsided matchup. Um the one I, I'm looking at is uh, Roma and Sassuolo. That should be a really entertaining matchup. Anyone who really enjoys Italian league soccer, that would be the one to highlight and watch. At Atlanta, I just don't know what to expect anymore. They're going to Yadizi. They need this win. But well, once again, Champions League coming up midweek. They've had a lot of fixtures in a row now. Can they uh, get the win here? Uh, their over-under right now is two and a half. That's probably the lowest I've seen an at Atlanta over-under in a very long time. It just sort of shows what people are thinking uh, goal-wise and where at Atlanta is right now. So uh, really interesting. I want to see how at Atlanta comes out uh, versus UDZ. They should be able to dominate them. But uh, right now with the way they're playing, I have no idea. Uh, AC Milan versus Sampdoria uh, should be a blow-by fixture, and same with Napoli and Croatoan. Uh, so uh, not too many great matchups this week in Syria, but uh, for sure, Roma versus Sassuolo. I, I definitely tune in and watch. In Liga, uh, we don't talk too much about it, but uh, we'll highlight uh, what we got. Uh, Mets versus Leonese uh, should be a halfway entertaining uh, matchup. I really like the way Lyon's played so far this year. And uh, tomorrow, PSG plays Montpelier. I don't know what sort of lineup they'll throw out there, uh, I, but uh, I don't look for that to be too much of an interesting contest. The one I would look at is Lille, who's been playing really good soccer versus Monaco. That should be a decent matchup uh, if you're one to watch some Ling uh, action. All right, that's our show for the week. I hope you enjoyed the Know It All podcast. Be sure to follow all the Greenlight Network podcasts. You can get them all at greenlightnetwork.org or wherever podcasts are sold. We continue to do our college basketball picks on the Drive-In Dish podcast. Just a little quick cast there. You play it, you find out what we like for the day. And then, of course, our Football Time podcast. you got both our college with Dynamite David and our pro with Achilles Rain, our picks on the week. Be sure to follow all those podcasts. And that's our show. And we're out. <laughs>